This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks. We thank you that you speak powerfully and clearly. And God, we know that your word often confronts our assumptions and confronts the way that we live in this world. And so this morning, as we think about what it means to live in a world that values justice, but does so without you in the picture, God, I pray that you would help us to see what that means for the values that we hold to so dearly in Western culture. And help us to see what it means to be a people who are called to partake in your mission of seeing justice flow like a river. God, we pray that you would speak now. We pray that you would transform us by your spirit. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' strong name. And God's people said, Amen. There is a, an author by the name of Tom Holland, not the, the actor who plays Spider-Man, but uh, the, the professor and uh, an ancient historian by the name of Tom Holland. And he has written a book. He's not a Christian. He is uh, not a believer. He's a secular historian. He's written a book by the name of Dominion. And it uh, really traces the role of the Christian worldview in the formation of Western thinking. So here in 2022, the ways that we think, the ways that our legal system works, the values that we have, have been by and large shaped by Western, by, by a Christian worldview. He says that um, all of the things, yeah, this, this epiphany, all of the things that he held dear, things like social justice, things like human dignity, things like progress, he said all of those things simply could not have existed in the way that they do now. The values that we hold to now and the way that we hold them simply could not have emerged out of a Greek or Roman worldview in the first century. And the only reason they exist is because of a Judeo-Christian worldview, what he calls Jerusalem. The values of human dignity, the values of social justice, the values of caring for the poor. And so this morning, we're going to look at the philosopher, the preacher, Solomon, perhaps, the author of this book. And he encounters this problem, the problem of morality or the problem of justice without God in the picture. What is justice when we remove God? What is humanity when we take God out of the frame? And what Ecclesiastes will do for us this morning is challenge the inconsistencies of our Western worldview that really wants the kingdom of God and all of the blessings of the kingdom, but doesn't want the king, doesn't want Jesus to be a part of it. Now, I want to qualify this really, really importantly at the start by saying that I don't, this, this message doesn't mean that secular people or people from any other worldview are incapable of justice or incapable of, of course. All humans are capable of God. In fact, the sad reality is that it is often people outside of the church who are far better at being nice and caring for the oppressed, the poor and the weak than it is uh, the people in the church. So I'm not saying that, that simply because you have a secular worldview means that you are incapable of Justice, But what I am saying, what the preacher, the philosopher from Ecclesiastes will say is that our, the foundation upon which we have values like justice and concern for the poor simply erode away 
when we take God out of the frame. Now, the preacher here is speaking about life as he sees it through his eyes. A number of times, and if you picked it up as Bree read that passage for us, a number of times it will say, I saw, I looked, and I said, I saw with my eyes, and I declared. These are Solomon's conclusions on life. This is his read on how life plays out when you simply take God out of the picture. Life under the sun means life with your Bible closed, life without God, life as we see it with our eyes, life in the physical, tangible realm minus the transcendent. And what he will do is he will say, as he looks at life and history, he will pan back from it all and say, you know what? Life is hard, life is unfair, and then you die. Great message, right? For a Sunday morning. I think I'm going to come to church and be inspired and encouraged today. And the philosopher from Ecclesiastes will slap us in the face and wake us up and make us think carefully about our world. The world that we live in is full of injustice, full of unfairness. And like the rest of the animals in the world, we will all die. What does justice look like without God? That's the first problem that he wants us to encounter. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, or that, that word could also be translated righteousness. In the place of righteousness wickedness was there. The problem isn't simply that injustice occurs. It's the location of injustice. His problem is that injustice is happening in the very place where justice ought to be occurring. It's in the courtroom. It's in the legal system. It's, it's in the police system. It's in the institutions of power that ought to be caring for people where we see corruption and mistakes, where we see the guilty being acquitted and set free, where we see the innocent being declared guilty and locked up for crimes they simply did not commit because they could not afford a lawyer or because the color of their skin so happened to predispose, predispose the legal system against them. In the very places of justice, the the philosopher, the preacher looks out and he says, I see wickedness there. But not only in the courts, also in the temple, the place of righteousness, the place where God is said to dwell. His very presence is there and there too he sees wickedness. We know that the prophets call out the false shepherds of Israel all the time. The prophet Ezekiel calls out the false shepherds of Israel for their lies and their exploitation of God's people in the place of righteousness, of goodness, of God's presence, there is wickedness. You know, I think one of the shocks of the, um, of the Church 2 movement, you know, the Christian version of the Me Too movement, one of the shocks of the Church 2 movement was that we expected the church to be a different place. Well, we have expectations on church leaders to behave in a certain way. And when that doesn't happen, when there is abuse and wickedness there, it shocks us because our expectation is that it ought to be different. Our expectation is that in the courtroom and in the justice system, that justice will 
prevail. And so the problem that the preacher has here is that he looks at the places where he would expect justice to be manifest. And sadly, justice seems to have gone walkabout. It is not there. And I don't think anything has changed. Ancient Near East or 21st century Western culture, the, the, the thing is when we see injustice, particularly, I think, in our culture, we loathe that. It, it grips our hearts, perhaps in a way that it hasn't gripped generations gone. We look on our TV screens and we see Russian forces invading Ukraine. And the, the world collectively cries out, this is not fair. These are innocent people, five million refugees, innocent civilians, the elderly, the children, the weak, those who are incapable of fleeing are the victims of a brutal man's decisions to invade another country unfairly. And we, we, we hate that when we see it. We look at sex slavery and innocent children being trafficked and sold and, and our hearts break and we thank God for organizations like IJM and A21. We look at ISIS slaughtering the Yazidi minority group, in fact crucifying children and we look at this on our TV screens and we loathe the injustice that occurs. We hear of domestic violence victims whose partners have lost the plot and taken the life of his spouse and his children and then turned the gun upon himself and we cry out, this is unfair. Something must be done. I remember hearing the story of the Birmingham Six. There were six Irish men who happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, happened to board a train home at the exact point that two bombs went off in Ireland and one of Europe's most significant terrorist attacks, 21 people died and these six men were wrongfully convicted and sentenced in prison from 1984 to, I think it was 1996 they got out. And we look at that and we cry, injustice, this is unfair. How many times have we seen on the screens of our social media feeds a young African-American man shot by police simply because he was wearing a hood and he was out at night and his skin color was dark? It's unfair. And yet, as the preacher looks at the world that he sees and the injustice that occurs... He comes up short. Have a look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He sees another thing. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they had no comforter. It's depressing. His second observation is that those who are oppressed have no advocate, no one to care for them, no one to speak up for them, no one on their side. You know, this week I was watching 
I was actually watching Billie Eilish videos on YouTube, which will become apparent in a second. But on, on one of the videos, the ad that came up at the start was an ad from Amnesty International advocating for someone who had been unfairly, unjustly imprisoned. And the preacher looks out at the oppression in the world and he says that where is, there is no Amnesty International. There are no advocates. There is no comforter for the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. You know, one of the things that Tom Holland says in his book, Dominion, is that the Western value that we have of caring for the poor, of not oppressing the weak and the vulnerable, like that, that, that is a universal Western value that we hold really strongly to. But he says... That that, that that value simply did not exist in the ancient world outside of the Greco-Roman worldview. In fact, he said the opposite is true. That oppression of the poor and the vulnerable and the weak was seen as a virtue because it was a demonstration of your power. Right? The more that you oppressed the weak, the more that you could suppress the vulnerable, the more powerful you looked. And it was seen as a virtue and into the craziness of devaluing humanity, the Christian story emerges and says to the vulnerable, the weak and the poor, you matter. You know, the emergence of hospitals, the emergence of universities, the, the care for the poor and the sick and the lame. In fact, it was Christians who went around scooping up children that had been abandoned and dumped in ancient Roman rubbish tips because they cared for the poor and the vulnerable. And Tom Holland says that that value was simply not existent in a Greco-Roman world, in an ancient culture. And so the preacher looks out and he sees the oppression of the poor. And sure, it may fit the cultural script. It may be a symbol of people's power and significance. But he sees the tears of the oppressed and he sees that there is no one to comfort and care for them. And he arrives at a very dark conclusion. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 2. And I declared that the dead who were already dead, who had already died, are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. It's dark, right? You know, if this wasn't part of my preaching roster, I just I would want to, I'd prefer to skip over this stuff. But we don't. We let God's words speak. These are important verses because they confront our inconsistencies in our worldview. This is the logical conclusion. If there is no justice, if there is no one to comfort, then I tell you what, if life is hard and then you die, non-existence is better. Because it is a more peaceful life. That's his conclusion. That's his conclusion. And then in a moment of like, when you, when you think it's like just all going downhill, the, the, the philosopher, the preacher just flips. There are a rare few times in the book of Ecclesiastes where the preacher would just jump from one worldview to the next. He's in this really dark place, right? He's taken God out of the frame. He set up a world under the sun where what we see is what, with, where what exists is what we see with our eyes. There is injustice. There is unfairness. It sucks. It's horrible. And then 
he just brings some hope into the picture. Out of nowhere, he becomes a theist, right? And he says this in chapter 3, verse 17. Because he, he needs God for there to be the hope of justice. This is his solution. Chapter 3, verse 17. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. See, he recognizes that we need God for there to be true, genuine, real justice. You see, without a judge, without an objective sense of good and evil, right and wrong, without accountability, there can be no justice. You see, if, if morality and ethics are, simply the are entirely subjective and simply the result of popular opinion, you have no right to say to another person, what you're doing is wrong. That is evil. We cannot call out Putin for evil if we say that morality and ethics are entirely subjective. And here is the preacher's problem for us. It confronts us. We want a world of justice. We want a world where humans have value and dignity, and yet we've eroded the entire foundation upon which those values are built. We need God. The preacher says we need God. And since God is creator, and since he has made this entire universe, he has the right to say this is right and this is wrong, this is good, this is evil, and he has the right to hold us accountable to it. We need a judge because we value justice. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says this, Man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. And we hear that and we think that's, that's full on. But there is hope in that because with the judge comes fairness. And, a, and, a, and not a capricious, nasty, corrupt judge, a fair, good judge who will set things right. He has appointed a day where justice will reign, where all of the sad things of this world will come untrue, to quote the Jesus Storybook Bible. We simply cannot have a world of justice without God. We can. It's just on the borrowed fumes of a Christian past. And how long, how long can our world continue to move forward while we reject the claims and the worldview of Christianity that's informed things like social justice and human dignity? How long can we continue as a culture and, and form healthy human flourishing when we continue to erode the foundation of those values? We are living through a significant social experiment. In fact, Tom Holland calls the 1960s the greatest reformation of culture that the, West, the Western culture has seen since the Reformation. And his evaluation is who knows whether or not Western culture will survive this moment. But what about humanity? What about humanity? When we take God out of the picture, this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 18. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. 
humans have no advantage over the animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. That's a throwback to Genesis chapter 1. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. Again, when the preacher, when the philosopher looks at life under the sun, life as we see it with our eyes, life with God out of the frame, he is left with some profound questions. He doesn't have someone who has gone beyond death and come back to say, well, this is definitively how it plays out. Who knows? We are no different to the goats or the cow or the duckbill platypus or whatever other animal is an animal of your choice. We are no different. In a world where there is no Genesis 1, 26 to 27, where God has made us in his image and likeness, in a world where there is no Psalm 8, verse 4 to 5, that God has made us a little lower than the angels and yet crowned us with glory and honor, where there is no Imago Dei, the value of humanity, human dignity on the foundation of the fact that God has made us in his image and likeness. We are simply different from every other created being on the face of this planet. You know the famous song, The Bloodhound Gang? Um, the line goes, you and me, ba baby, we ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> Kitschy, right? I think in 97 that was a hit. But, but the, did you hear the logic of it? If we are just like every other animal on the face of the planet, then our ethics and our morality don't matter. But we're not. We're not. The preacher's conclusion, and I'm, it's hard to preach this, right, because you, you arrive at these conclusions. You're like, no, but what about all the other verses in the Bible that say the exact opposite? Here's the thing. Like any good teacher or philosopher, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is forcing us to think, forcing us to think hard. Here is his conclusion. Chapter 3, verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? If we're all going to die, like the duck-billed platypus and the cow, we may as well just chew grass, build an ecosystem and enjoy life. You know, just work hard, enjoy it. If that's it, that's all we have. That's all that a world can offer us. When we take God out of the picture, we're left with YOLO. That's it. We're all, you know, carpe diem if you're of an older generation. That's it. That's all we have. That's all we have. Billie Eilish has been... It was a good transition, wasn't it? <laughs> Billie Eilish, um, if you don't know who Billie Eilish is, she's a young pop star. And she kind of got famous when she was about 16. And Vanity Fair have been interviewing her every year in October, asking the same questions for the last five years. And um, it's a fascinating interview just to see this, this gr growing up of this young girl in front of the world. And um, at the end of the first interview, they said to her, what's your philosophy of life? <clears throat> to which she said, what's a, what's a philosophy? <laughs> um, but this is what she said, and this is the PG version for church. She said this, we're all going to die. 
No one's going to remember you, so screw it. From a 16-year-old, we're all going to die. No one's going to remember you, so screw it. Do whatever. She is the modern preacher of Ecclesiastes to the current generation. If, we, if we're just going to die, then you may as well just enjoy whatever you have. But thankfully, is, is, are we ready for some good news now? Because <laughs> it's, right, it's depressing. And honestly, I don't know how you live in any part of the world today and remove God out of the picture because it's, just, it's such a depressing worldview. So let's bring some hope into this picture. Let's bring some good news into this picture because God is the God who establishes justice by virtue of the fact that he has created humanity in his image and likeness. We are God's representatives, right? Matt Fuller calls us, he says, we're not gods, but we do wear crowns. We're not gods, but we do wear crowns. We have dignity and value. We are separate from the rest of the created order. And into this world, God sends his one and only son. By the virtue of the incarnation, the son of God made flesh, God enters this world and he says that the physical aspects of this world matter and I'm not too afraid to get my hands dirty in the brokenness and mess of a world that is experiencing injustice and suffering and brokenness. And his own son becomes the victim of gross injustice an innocent man at the hands of corrupt, evil, wicked leaders sentenced to die a slave's death. The Christian apologist Glenn Shrivener says this. He's speaking about the worldview of, uh, of Darwin. You know, like, we are simply the progression of atoms that have randomly mutated, natural selection, all that kind of stuff. He says this. Natural selection is the survival of the fittest and the sacrifice of the weakest. The strongest survive. But the Christian story is the sacrifice of the strongest. Sorry, yeah, that's right. The sacrifice of the strongest and the fittest for the survival of the weakest. It completely flips our secular worldview and narrative on its head. And the Christian story offers such beautiful hope to a depressing world. Who knows what will happen when we die, asks the preacher. Who knows whether the spirit of a human goes up and an animal goes down? Well, we do know because we have one who has gone through the journey, who died and then three days later was raised to life to tell us that all who have faith and trust in Jesus can experience the same. In Luke chapter 4, Uh, It won't be on the screens, but Jesus uh, comes to the temple and he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he reads a portion of of the prophet Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've been anointed to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to offer sight to the blind. That's his mission. He has come to set the captives free to restore justice. And God's vision for this world is so beautifully captured in Amos chapter 5, verse 24. He says, But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And it is only in Jesus that we can have the hope 
of justice and righteousness covering this earth. Only in Jesus. Now again, I'm not saying that if you're not a Christian, you're incapable of justice, you're incapable of good. Of course we are. But what I am saying is that the Christian worldview is the foundation upon which we hold to values like human dignity and justice and morality and ethics. And the beautiful truth of the Christian story is that Jesus calls us into his mission of being peacemakers, of being justice champions, of being advocates for the poor, of caring for the vulnerable and the weak. And it is precisely because of what he has done that brings motivation to our lives now that we are called to participate in his grand mission to bring heaven to earth on the small patch of earth that God has placed us and in the workplace and neighborhoods and communities and families and sporting teams where we live to be a people who would truly embody the values of human dignity and concern for the weak, the poor and the vulnerable who would live lives that are consistent with our worldview. You know, the reality is that we, we can look out on the oppression and the injustice in our world and feel completely depressed. That, that would be entirely appropriate of us to look at what's happening in the Ukraine at the moment and to feel utterly helpless. And that ought to lead us to despair if we take God out of the picture. But praise God that He has promised a beautiful promise, the promise to make all things new. The truth is for every person who is weeping the tears of the oppressed is that there is a promise from Jesus that He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We have a comforter. We have a comforter. His name is Jesus. And His promise is to make all of the sad things of this world come untrue. And it's only on the foundation of the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus that this world can have any skerrick of hope. So my call to everyone in the room and everyone online this morning, wherever you're at on your journey of faith, if you identify as someone who loves Jesus, who worships Jesus, then I want to call you to live consistently with our worldview as a people of hope, a people who would bring justice, a people of peacemaking, a people who would care for the vulnerable, the weak, the poor, not because they are an object of our program, but because we love them, because God loves them. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want to call you to honestly examine the world that you're living in and the worldview that you hold on to and ask yourself the question, is this consistent? How can I truly value these things? and deny that there is a God behind all of them. Our hope is that as a result of this church and many churches like us, that we would be a countercultural community of love, concern, care, and justice, and make this world a little more like heaven while we await for our judge and savior Jesus to return and to make all things new. Amen.
Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you value us. We thank you that you value humanity, the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, the needy. We thank you that you have not left this world hopeless. You've sent your Son and you call us to be a people, a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, a community of hope, of faith, of justice, of concern for the poor, the weak and the vulnerable. We pray that would be true for us. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Send us out of here to be your hands and feet. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and God's people said, Amen, Amen. Well, hey, this morning,